And uh, we've got to go back to Hebrews 11 sometime and talk about Joshua, but it wasn't that. I, I went over in my mind what we'd done the last few weeks. I realized there was something I'd left really unsaid, incomplete, from the talk on giving two weeks ago. I said two weeks ago, uh, in terms of the just shall live by faith, one of the ways we live by faith is it affects our cash flow, it affects our, the way we handle money. And I use some phrases like these, and I make no apology for them. Giving measures our hearts. And our treasure is our measure. Um, I'm paraphrasing Jesus on that. He said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So having been up in Harrogate for these last few days, and uh, having had my heart rather thoroughly washed out during those days, I want to go back this morning to the plain sense, straightforward teaching of Jesus himself. And I'm going to read through Matthew 6, and then jump to the end of Matthew 7. I'm going to use the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which, by the way, has now got a new version called just the Christian Standard Bible, because um, it's a bit more modern and more simple than my usual preferred NASB or even the Bible that I keep up here, which is the King, New King James. Let me read to you. Try not to say too much on the way through. Matthew 6. Before we do, let me pray. Lord Jesus, my Master, I pray for your help, both for me and for my friends, my brothers and sisters, that we together may hear the words of Christ. And as the scripture says, we may allow his words to dwell richly in us, in all wisdom. That the, your word being received in our hearts like a seed may grow and produce a new quality of life in us. More honouring to you, dear Lord. Amen. <laughs> Sun is great, but it's in my eyes. And it's on the screen. Be careful not to... This is about practical righteousness, living a godly life. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not bring us into temptation, trial, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive you your wrongdoing. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites. They make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, Jesus is talking about the thing you're focusing on, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Cubit's about 18 inches. (laughs) And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters, Gentiles is the word there, eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's go to the end of the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount goes from chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7 of Matthew. Jesus is rounding up now, the way preachers do. This is his 
final statement and challenge. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man. Now, if Jesus calls someone stupid, you better beware, right? Who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew. Same storm. And pounded on that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Now, I want you to notice something, first of all. Every word up there was in red because I quite like red letter Bibles every word up there were from the lips of Jesus himself no higher authority they are his words not only to them then but to us now Jesus said that the words I speak to you are spirit and life his words convey to us the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus if we will hear them and keep, which means obey them. Otherwise, we lose them. They're lost to us. Matthew 6 has two threads through, running through it. I don't know if you saw it. They are these. Faith towards God and handling money. Money and wealth are dealt with, with the Lord, by the Lord Jesus in three ways here. Number one, giving to the poor. Giving When you give to the poor. We're going to give a, have a focus in a few weeks' time on helping the poor. Barnabas and food bank going to talk about those things and how we, we, can, we can be involved in those things and more in helping the needy, the poor. We are under duty to help the poor. You, uh, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll quote some of Malcolm Duncan when I do that. But elsewhere, Jesus supports the issue of tithing. We looked at that two weeks ago. Jesus supported, defended tithing. Just not the crazy way that the Pharisees were doing. Then he talks about the love of wealth. You can't serve God and money. You can't be a slave of God and money. And then he talks about the fear of poverty, which I only mentioned two weeks ago. Just a phrase I threw in, the fear of poverty. And I realized I hadn't talked about the fear of poverty. Let me just talk, mention again the love of wealth briefly. I said quite a bit two weeks ago about the love of wealth, which is actually about more than money. It's about greed, and avarice and pride and self-centeredness. We are directly instructed by the Lord Jesus and by other New Testament scriptures to keep ourselves free from the love of money. Treat it like a disease. Treat it like a disease. Sign to be got rid of. Let me add this from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Did I put this up? Yes, I did. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile stupidity. How many of you know those who are greedy and never have enough? Never content with what they have? The worm, they're like a worm that's saying, more, 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 to quote Ecclesiastes again. All the wisdom scriptures. So that's the love of money. Already talked about that quite a bit. The the CDs are still out there from two weeks ago. You can grab a CD on the way up. And uh, if you ask me for notes, I'll I'll print some notes for you. you, um, We dealt with that there. Do you know what? We come back to it in Hebrews 12 as well. 
The fear of poverty. I did some research just yesterday, and uh, this is what the Lord Jesus actually says more about here. Yesterday I discovered that there are lots of philosophers and sociologists, and that's sociologists, psychologists, I suppose, who say that, that mankind has six fundamental fears. Everybody is troubled by, by these fears to, to greater or lesser extent. And number one on their list is poverty. Now, I thought that was extraordinary. I did not know that until I looked up the fear of poverty and this, this came up from like all over the place. Six basic fears. You're, you're afraid of poverty, of going hungry, of not having enough. You're afraid of criticism. You're afraid of ill health. You're afraid of losing life, not just your, yours but loved ones. You're afraid of old age. You're afraid of your own death. Fear of poverty is a fundamental fear. And I believe the fear of poverty traps many Christians. They fear to be generous. They fear to give because they fear not having enough. Now that may have been a learned thing. In that You may have grown up in a home where the family struggled with barely enough. There may have been a time in your ad- own adult life when you've not really had enough at times. And you struggled. But for whatever reason, and even for no apparent reason, because this is a fear that is in our hearts without needing a reason for it, the track of your mind and your heart may well be laid in this way. I can't afford to give or to give more or to give as I know I should because I will suffer lack if I do that. It's kind of like almost hardwired. Knee-jerk response. I, I won't have enough. Fear of poverty. The fact is, enough is never enough if you're gripped by that fear. Just as if you're you're soaked in the love of money, enough will never be enough. Both of those things lead to the same thing. We are desperate for more. We can't be content with what we have because we still fear, in the case of the fear of poverty, we still fear not having enough. We looked at Malachi 3 before on tithing, where God invites us to test him, whether we will not be more blessed when we've honoured him by bringing our whole tithes and offerings into his house. So I've looked at that, dealt with that, but let's look here Jesus' words here. Jesus talks about the necessities of life, food, drink, clothing, and tells us not to worry about them. Did you get that on the way through? He says it a few times in a few different ways, doesn't he? Don't worry about it. Why? Because our Heavenly Father, as we read in... Matthew 6 with the Lord Jesus, and we read in Psalm 145, knows our needs and he is both good and great. He is able. Say that with me, folks. He is able. In fact, for a long time now, we've had this little chant that goes around Pentecostal churches in particular, all right? The Lord is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's an antidote to this fear of poverty thing. My, my confidence is not in me or in my ability to earn or in my ability to manage money. My confidence is in my Father is good. We sing this, don't we? You're a, I'm not singing to you, my voice is good you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 
who I am. If you haven't been around for a while, you won't even know that song yet, but it's a good song. <laughs> You're a good, good father. We sing it, but we need to put our, our hands on it and say, this is true. It's true about cash flow as well. It's true about my needs. It's true about his provision and his supply and his blessing and his help. He's a good, good father. And he loves me. Jesus uses those examples, doesn't he? He says, he feeds the birds, doesn't he? There's one of my favourites, the old robin. The robin proved to be the most favourite bird in Britain in a, in a vote. And no surprise, really. He's eating berries. We've got berries like that around our house. Our father feeds the creatures, the birds. And he clothes the fields. Look at that. Isn't May glorious? I didn't take that photo, but I could have taken a photo like that not very far from our house. He clothes the fields with flowers. This is a saying, it's been around a long time. Worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles, it takes away today's peace. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You don't need faith for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You need faith for today to get through today and God is with you today and God is good to you today and he's your great father today. Jesus challenges us that by worrying about these things, we're actually being unbelieving. You see, to worry about our needs is to doubt our good and great father. To mistreat him. He puts us back in the Garden of Eden and we've just failed the test again. We didn't trust him. We couldn't take the risk. What good does worry do? None. That phrase about add a cubic to your height, lots of scholars think that that's kind of like a way of saying in those days, extend your life. It's a bit of a joke saying get, get 18 inches taller. It's to say you can't extend your life by one hour by worrying. In fact, statistically and probably, probably health-wise, you'll shorten your life by worrying. Not this way, but that way, you know? Jesus even tells us that by behaving in such unbelief, we're being like Gentiles, idolaters, or pagans. Now, when he said that the first time to a Jewish crowd, they would have been very offended by that. You're telling us we're like them? Those filthy dogs, as they used to call the Gentiles? Our Father is good. Our Father knows our needs. And Jesus uses the how much more argument. There's a Latin word for that one, bother you with it. If this, then surely that. If he feeds birds, aren't you more important to him than birds? He made all kinds of beautiful birds. Evolutionists say all these things were for kind of camouflage. I say, that thing isn't camouflage, it's as bright as the noonday sun. Goldfinches feeding on, on, on niger seeds in our garden. My goodness, that's not camouflage, mate. <laughs> it's like, come and find me. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful, extravagant. But you know what? They're not made in his image. You are. You are worth more to him than any other creature. And then he says, look at the way he closed the fields. And when you go in there and you size it all down, the, the flowers go in the furnace along with the hay. Yeah? No difference. But he, they grow. Some things flower for one day. One day. 
Are you not worth much more than the flowers of the field? Notice he doesn't say you're just as valuable or he'll close you just as he does. He says, more, more, more. That's the heart of our Father to us, to supply us with more. And it's faith that Jesus is challenging here. Faith to believe God, to trust his promises, to rely on his goodness, to depend upon his provision and to act accordingly in confidence and in giving, in generosity. To actually sow our seeds so that he can give us back again. How's that faith to work though? Because you know me, a lot of people talk about faith and a lot of it makes me grind my teeth. I need to go to the dentist again. How do you lay hold of this much more and will he not add it to you? By naming and claiming, I believe, I claim my much more. No, you know. no. Storming heaven with a list of demands. Jesus tells us in verse 33, which is my main verse today, how we pursue this, how faith works. What does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's not about, I'll go and get it then. No. You don't even pursue that. You pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And needs are not first. And when we put first what should be first, our needs will faithfully be supplied by our Father. That's his promise. It's one of his, prove me with it. Come on, test me with it. This has been stated for many centuries in this way by church fathers and all Ask for great things and small things shall be added to you. Ask for heavenly things and earthly things shall be added to you. Did you get that? It's a good quote, isn't it? It's very ancient. It goes back probably to Chrysostom. Ask for great things, AD 300 or so. Ask, ask for great things and small things shall be added to you. Ask for heavenly things. And earthly things shall be added to you. When the Lord Jesus addresses our day-to-day concerns, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, and that's valid, and you know, Sainsbury's and Lidl and other supermarkets are available. But he says that all of that should be entrusted to the Father, while we are engaged on more important issues, seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. Let me put that up there and then I'm going to ask a few questions and seek to ask them. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, we're not talking about a millennium. We're not talking about Jesus' second coming, first of all here. That's part of it. The kingdom of God is eternal because God has always been king. But certainly when God made a creation, when God made a cosmos, he was king of the universe. He had a sphere, a field within which to king it, to rule, Yes? King of creation. And by the way, who was the primary actor in creation? Jesus. All things were made by him. And without him, Jesus, nothing is made that was made. In the first test of obedience, second if you count Satan, but just think about men, humans. Adam was placed on a, a test. Would he submit to the authority of God 
would he trust in the goodness of God and the wisdom of God or would he come up with plan B, which was always going to be bad news? God's kingdom was opposed in the beginning by fallen angels and fallen mankind. We didn't want him to rule over us. We thought we, we could do better than his best for us. We thought we were wiser than God. We thought we were smarter than God. We thought we would do more good to ourselves than he would do to us. That's the very heart of the fall. Sin is at its root the rejection of God's goodness and greatness and authority over us. And the kingdom was given to the Lord Jesus. And he will bring all things. Again, that means all things. Back under the... I said it really slowly, do you know? Because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do high today. <laughs> he will bring all things back under the rule of God. He did that first by coming to us, becoming a man, being with us, and announcing and demonstrating the kingdom of God, casting out demons, healing people, cleansing lepers, forgiving sinners. Finger of God, kingdom of God is among you, Jesus said. Can you see it? Poor John the Baptist lost confidence. He was in prison, probably knew he was going to die. And he sends a message to Jesus, say, are you really the one or are we looking still for another? And Jesus said to the messengers, go back, tell him what you've seen. Sick of being healed, prisoners are being free. Tell him the kingdom, tell him you've seen the kingdom. God doing his thing and changing people's lives. Then Jesus has redeemed us, purchased us, in fact, he's purchased all things to himself, including every one of us, believing or unbelieving, by his sacrificial death on the cross. That's the value of his sacrifice. Then he rose from the dead and has been given, to quote him, all authority in heaven and on earth. And he will rule his kingdom now until every last enemy is defeated. So the kingdom of God will finally be reestablished after the second coming of Jesus over a redeemed people and a renewed cosmos. And God's children, to quote Jesus again, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Yes, the kingdom is yet to come fully, and we have to deal now with both now and not yet when we speak of his kingdom. But right now, we see his kingdom wherever his person, his presence, and his power are at work, and they are chiefly at work through his children through the church. He doesn't do it without us. No. Amen. He heals people when we pray for them. Yeah. He forgives people their sins when we share the gospel with them. We are the agents of his kingdom taking over someone's life, invading their world. What is God's righteousness? Well, we're not talking here about God's own nature. He's altogether righteous. He's just and truthful and holy. When the Bible talks about the righteousness of God, or here Jesus says, seek God's righteousness, it's God's righteousness at work to us, in us, and through us. So let me come back to my very simple definition. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, this is not highfalutin theology. Just trying to keep it really simple. Righteousness is, first of all, right relationship with God, leading to right behavior. Because you now have a new source of life, 
which is Jesus, your life changes. Right? Relationship with God transforms behavior. So it becomes good, godly, honest, upright, pure. Jesus has brought us back to the Father through his own life and death and rising again. Our sins have been forgiven. Peace has been established. We can know the love of God. But it produces right behavior. A lot of old ways have to go. Sexual immorality, lying, theft, drunkenness, gluttony, greed, anger, malice. We're learning new ways of behavior by the grace of God and by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We're learning honesty, self-discipline, clean speech, kindness, purity. See, behavior is structured by the essential relationship. You behave a certain way because you're married. You behave a certain way because you're, a con- you're an employee, you're under a contract. We are now in this wonderful covenant of mercy and grace, and that transforms the way we live. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So now I'm going backwards. And over, but how do you seek his kingdom and his righteousness? How do you seek them? We'll go back to the pattern prayer. You pray, and then you do. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. That's not just let Jesus return. That's more of your kingdom here today. I'll talk about that in a minute. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, um, excuse me, but I was converted when I was 18. And very shortly after that, the Lord told me to go to Bible college. That's where I believe he did, and that's why I'm standing here today. And so in a fit of like, like uh, zeal and madness, I thought, my goodness, I better read the Bible quick. So I read the Bible at, ten, at the rate of 10 chapters a day, so that by the time I got there, I would have read the Bible in, you know, within a few months. Okay? So reading through as quickly as that, I got an overview and I didn't stop too much. And, and there's things I read then like when Jesus said, born of water, and water, that I, th- I kind of saw when I read them, and I haven't changed my mind since, because they seem to be the obvious, the obvious meaning. And here's one of those. I think those three things all apply as on earth as it is in heaven. We want, we're praying for his name to be honoured here, now. We're praying for his kingdom to come here, now. And we're praying for his will to be done here now. And eventually, but I've got today. And I want to know God at work today. And I want to know his presence with me today. This is not pines and by prayer. It's a, oh God, come now. Let me honor you in my life. Let me see your hand at work. Let people come to know you. And to seek the kingdom of God is to desire and pray and pursue in action. These things. His kingdom within me. When we, I've always done it since the first time I read it and understood it for myself. When I pray, your kingdom come, I almost kind of do what, what they do for a gorilla. I do that kind of thing. That's a, apparently my, my little grandson knows gorilla in sign language. It's, it's cute. He knows all sorts of sign language. It's interesting. His kingdom starts in uh, me. It's hard to admit that. You want it all out there. Now it starts here. Then his kingdom comes among us, the church. 
his presence, his power, his priorities, his purity, his way of living works out amongst us. And then, guess what? We go in the export business, we take it to the world. And whenever you look at God's workings, he always follows that same principle. You see, although there's three things, or sorry, four things mentioned. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It moves outwards. It starts not even from here, from church on a Sunday morning. It starts from here, me, my heart, my soul. And then it's us together. And then we each going out to represent him in what is his world. Good news! The world doesn't belong to men or to the devil. It belongs to... The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It doesn't change. That truth doesn't change. Oh, well, I've just dropped my water. That's always the way God chooses to work. First in you or me, then in us, then in them. That's a crude way of putting it, but I'll make it really simple so you get it, all right? It's God's plan that we know his kingdom within us and among us and then carried out into the world from us. When we receive from the Lord, we then go and give it away again and again and again. And by the way, do you know that signs and wonders are signs and wonders to an unbelieving world, not to the church? Oh, I'd love to see more signs and wonders. Well, get out there and share the gospel with people and pray for some people. I'm serious. Signs and wonders happen like, like, like gunfire on the front edge of the battle where all the noise and explosions are. That's where signs and wonders happen on the front edge of the gospel of the kingdom. They are evidences that the gospel is true. So do not seek signs and wonders for your entertainment, Christian. Seek them for the convincing of unbelievers that God is real. And by the way, I still believe that the way, one of the ways that God is very crucially going to reach lots of other faith groups is when they see God at work in the Christian church in a way that they cannot believe they're seeing. When Christians pray for their sick wife or their sick baby and God heals them, and we say, do you realize that was the name of Jesus? I didn't do that. The name of Jesus did that. There's no argument to that, is there? I'm off the subject a bit. But... Thank you, Debbie. Serving me at my feet there. Sorry about the mess. You know, people talk about and prophesy about revival. Those extraordinary works of God by the Holy Spirit. They've happened numerous occasions in the past. If you study church history and accounts of revivals and dig back what happened before the kind of, the, you know, the fireworks happened, you know, the public kind of things happened, you'll find generally God worked exactly the same way. Some people, sometimes only a few people, sometimes just a couple of old ladies in a little Scottish island got really hungry, desperate, and they began to pray. And a few people joined them. And they would have done if God said do that, they'd have done anything because they were so hungry. They were so eager, so desperate. And God does those remarkable things in answer to a remarkable passion, which, guess what? Sovereignty of God. He himself provoked in them. He made them hungry because he wanted to do something and he wanted to answer their prayers for him to do. It's all God's sovereignty. Yet, it doesn't happen out of nowhere. 
Revivals never happen out of nowhere. There are always some big people somewhere who are praying. And I remember the story of a... Of a of, this, is, this is, just happens, right? South America. group had been praying, praying for revival, praying for God to do something in their town, in their city. And they pray, And they say, well, what does the Lord want us to do? And they kept praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And they kept praying, they kept praying. And one day somebody said, brothers, sisters, does anybody have a sense from God about what to do? He said, one guy said, oh, all right. He said, I, I just feel like I should hit the table. Well, go on then. No, it's, no, it's like, what? Just, what? You know? And they almost dragged him over and said, hit the table, hit the table. He hit the table. The power of God blew into that room. They were all on the floor. And that sense of God's presence then spread through the city, spread through the town. And eventually they called meetings together, but for the first few days or weeks, I think it was, they didn't have meetings. They were just out there sharing the gospel. And God was doing extraordinary things in their town. So yes, if God says hit the table, I'm, I'm going to jump on it. All right? But I, to be honest with you, we need a bit more hunger first. More than a bit more hunger first. Listen, if you want Harlow to be moved upon by the Spirit of God, you first must be moved by the Spirit of God. We must first be moved by the Spirit of God. Moved to hunger, to pray, to fast. James Aladiran. Um, you know, that's where this has fed my soul, some of this. Not the examples, those from my memory. Seeking his righteousness is also to seek, actively seek to learn, to grow, to change, to live more and more to the honour of our Master Jesus. And the same three dimensions apply. His righteousness, right relationship, right behaviour in me. Oxygen mask on yourself first, please. Don't go thinking you can fix someone else until you know the fixing help of God by his grace and his spirit. Right relationship, right relationship, right behavior rather in me, then right relationships and right behavior among us, including the Christian household, the Christian family, husbands and wives and so on. There's the scriptures to be obeyed, but there's grace to be worked out. The scriptures give you a command, so you remember, that's, how, that's, that's where I need God's help and grace to be able to do now. Right, help me Lord, here I go. His righteousness then and right behaviour through, through us towards the world. And people out there are looking for Christians who do what they say and mean what they do. Authenticity, integrity, no hype. They, they are hyped to the eyeballs. The elections are doing that if nothing else. They want people who are real. Real life, real faith. In fact, that's one of my new mottos. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things may be added, will be added to you. Listen, there may be a reason that you're not seeing the provision of the Lord in your life and why there's some degree of restriction. It could be because you've not made his kingdom and his righteousness your priority. As long as you're focused on what you see as your needs, those needs are not being met. When you focus upon his purposes, when you, make, when you make his business, let me give it to you this way, when you make his business your business, he'll take care of your business. Amen. Yeah? That's where your focus is. That is his word, which cannot be broken. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you.
And when you're no longer focused on you and your needs, you begin to see the goodness of God in all sorts of ways. You know, I know I have a reputation for getting a good deal from different places, but one preacher recently was saying that, you know, that's, 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 that's God's blessing. And I thought, you know, it is. It's not me being smart. I think it's part of God's, God's equipping, his anointing. We use that word, you know. God's equipping upon me is that I know where to go and put my hand to get, getting a good deal and making the most of every, every pound that comes into our household and into church. Now, I make some mistakes, all right? I do make some mistakes. Think, oh, but on the whole, you know, if, I, if we need to get something, whether it's a chalkboard or whatever else, I find a deal. I find a deal. That's God's blessing. Right? Let's give him the glory, shall we? And you've, if your focus is not on you and your needs, you begin to see his kind providences, his little droppings on purpose, a bit like when Ruth was gleaning, leave us some on purpose. God leaves some things on purpose for you. You go, oh, this is good, thank you. What comes first for you? What fills your attention? What do you strive after? What about, I'm going to get right on it now. I'm sorry I'm in your backyard. I'm digging up your lawn. What about the fear of poverty? Does that strike something with you? Well, let me tell you this. It's time to reject and renounce it. Have a good stop. Denounce it. And fix your faith upon your good and great Heavenly Father who promises this faithfully. He's righteous in all his ways. He faithfully promises this, that when you put his kingdom and his righteousness first, he will command the supply of all your needs. Divine providence will work for you. We've been singing it again lately, haven't we? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let me see if I can lead you in just singing that bit before we break bread. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm going to ask you to do something a bit daring. There were six fundamental fears I put up there earlier. Do you remember them? If you, one of them probably struck you. It may not have been the fear of poverty, but one of them maybe struck you. Oh, yeah, oh, that's me. If you're aware right now, the Holy Spirit's saying, that one. Why don't you just, whatever it is, not just poverty, one or the others, death, loving, uh, uh, criticism, ill health. Why don't you stand to your feet just now? Just stand up. Thank you. I need to do a bit of prophetic pastoring at this point in time. Now, there's a scripture in Ephesians that says, be angry and don't sin. And uh, a lot of people kind of read as, don't be angry. But no, it says, be angry enough to stop sinning. Sometimes you need to get kind of like, I'm fierce about this. Right now, I'm longing for you to kind of get like, I'm not having this anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I refuse this. Yeah? No, in Jesus' name, no. I want this 
this, this, this worry, this anxiety, this constant dread out of my heart, out of my soul. I call on the name of Jesus to free me from this right now. When you open your heart to him and ask him, you know, tell him you don't want, you want this gone. It's like some wretched thing that must die. Father, we sing it. Right now we take hold of it. We say, I am no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. My Heavenly Father knows my needs. He knows my heart. He cares for me. He will not fail me. He is my helper. He will support me. Even if the illness comes. Even if... The, the, the job goes. My God is for us. He will help us. Amen. And if it, if it helps you, you know, just shake yourself or stomp the floor. I'm not having this anymore. I call on the name of Jesus who, who brings us into freedom to be free from this, this thing. I have a good, good father. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Amen. Is that the key? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I can't sing that high. I am a child of God. Sing it, sing it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Again. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. Call on your name, Lord. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Take hold of it. Take hold of it. Your inheritance belongs to you as a child of God. To be free from the things that trouble and cause anxiety and worry to unbelieving Gentiles. You are not one of them anymore. You can live confidently and generously in the grace and goodness and provision and providence of your Heavenly Father who loves you more than the birds and values values you more than the flowers. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, baby. Amen. Please sit down. Please sit down. If you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, I hope you've seen this morning that there's some good is there to those who trust him. 
There's some huge benefits in believing in him. Forgives you all the sins, heals your diseases, crowns you with loving kindness, defends you, protects you, keeps you, sustains you, lifts you up when you've fallen. What else can we say? All of those things are yours when you make him first. So why don't you settle in your heart? I, I want to become a Christian. I want to follow the Lord Jesus. I want him to be first in my life. He'll take care of all the rest. Day by day, he'll lead you, he'll teach you, he'll supply you with strength and courage. You don't have to make tomorrow's decisions today, he'll be there with you when you need to make the choices. Don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about trial tomorrow and trouble tomorrow. Deal with today, because today there is grace, more than enough grace available to you for today. And he gives you a night's rest to start a new day tomorrow. Amen? Amen. 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 We're going to break bread together.